Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. At Awaken Church, we are passionate about wrestling with and being unraveled by the Christian scriptures. Ideally, we do this together around the table in the neighborhood of Bonas. As we see it, Jesus has invited all of us to encounter Him in a diverse community and participate with Him in a mission of loving our neighbors. Welcome, everyone. Happy Pentecost. Yeah, we began this series talking about uh, Sabbath and Jubilee holistically, that every seventh year, the community of God is meant to set aside an entire year of the work uh, of entering into Sabbath, or for the work of entering into Sabbath rest together. And then every 50th year, there was the Jubilee year, and that was meant to radically reconfigure the neighborhood according to God's dream. Jubilee safeguards against intergenerational wealth so that we can choose love, that we can experience peace, and we can delight in God together. At the onset of his ministry, Jesus proclaimed the inauguration of the final Jubilee and began forming a community that would join him in the ongoing work of Sabbath in the neighborhood. In week two, James talked about trauma-informed Sabbath and how God's sacred dream for rest and wholeness in our world does not mean rest from labor alone, but rest from trauma, from indignity, and from the cycles of fear and ostracization that keep people from flourishing in the community of God. Christ offers a Sabbath rest that wraps us up in safety, empowerment, and connection. Then as we continued our exploration of God's dream for the, of rest for the community of God, Bryn's parents were with us and spoke on Sabbath as addiction recovery. They talked about what it means to find rest and freedom from the bondage and burden of living with addiction and discussed God's dream for us when we struggle with addiction. Then Nikayla talked about how Jubilee is the antithesis to capitalism. Jubilee is only possible in a gift economy. Jubilee is only possible among a people who have repented of their idolatry, who have denounced their allegiance to mammon, and turn towards one another, viewing image bearers as being worth more than our possessions. Jubilee is only possible in a community that sees a God who made the world and loves the world, and on the seventh day delighted in the world, a creator among beloved creatures. Jubilee is only possible in a community that sees the laborer as an image bearer, and it affirms the value of each human being regardless of their ability or efficiency or productivity. Then we moved and Michelle talked about Sabbath for the soil in week five. She impressed upon us that the Sabbath wasn't made only for human beings, but for the land itself. The Sabbath is a sacred symbol of rest, and that rest is commanded not just for the people who live on the land, but for the land itself. God's jubilee dream involves rest, wholeness, and thriving for the land. The land is holy, and the land has agency, and the land is worthy in the eyes of God of this sacred rest. We imagine together what this could mean in our lives and our neighborhood to honor God's commands that we live, uh, that we give freedom and release to the land in which we live. Then finally, last weekend, Nikayla guided us through a discussion on how God's sacred rest is not just for us, it's not just for the land, but it's also for the animals that we have called livestock. We talked about what it means for us in a culture where we have very little connection to the animals other than house pets, that God commands we grant rest to our livestock and beasts of burden. And here we are today, closing off Sabbath and Jubilee, quite a series, Pentecost Sunday, 
And we're asking, what does it mean to be a Jubilee people? What does Pentecost teach us about being a Jubilee people? Well, we've kind of already gotten a glimpse so far, but we'll keep going with it. Pentecost is a significant point in the church calendar because it marks the arrival of the Holy Spirit and signals a radical shift in the way that God's people ought to live. The story of Pentecost serves kind of as the epicenter of the book of Acts as it sets the tone for the move of the Spirit and invites us into the risk of new relationships. It is the story of the divine imparting her life-giving breath into the lives of the people. And breath means new life. And new life means growth, change, and ongoing development. The spirit protects, but it also challenges, provoking, and pushing us along, calling us to open up. So we're going to read the text, um, again, a slightly longer version than the one Amy read, um, but I want you to pay particular attention just to like who is included in this vision, who's all here in this, uh, in this section, and we'll, we'll kind of talk about it, but um, there's a slide for it, and I think there it is. It's on two different slides. And I just kind of made them bold so you can see like who's being included, but just pay attention to that as we read in Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said they are filled with new wine. As the fire of Pentecost burns in Jerusalem, imagine the city being packed with people from all over. This isn't a typical day. There were at this time Jews who had been raised in the faith, those who had become Jewish, and still others who were neither Jewish nor interested in being related with Jewish people. There were vendors in the streets selling sacrificial animals, they were selling food and other things to possess and to hoard and to accumulate. There were rich people and there were poor people, thieves and guards, those from bigger cities and those from smaller cities, the sophisticated and the lowly, slaves and masters. Some of these people were visiting, some were permanent residents, and some were immigrants, all of them God's beloved children who are image bearers of the divine, each of them deserving dignity, respect, love, and value. The breath of God blew a new fire from heaven and declares all people will prophesy and be known by their mother tongue. Willie Jennings tells us that the miracle of Pentecost is more so in the speaking, even than in the hearing. And on one level, he's talking about agency, that if you want to flourish, you need to be able to make choices for your own well-being, 
you need to be able to advocate for your needs and desires. You need to be able to voice the cries of your despair and your distress to be heard in that space and be understood for who you are, not forced to change. But if you're prevented from making those choices or from expressing what's going on, then you cannot flourish and you cannot advocate for yourself, then you're not truly liberated. But it's also about humility for those of us with more privilege. It is incredibly difficult learning another language because it requires, as Willie Jennings says, submission to a people. We don't want to do that. We don't want to give up our position of privilege to enter into the vulnerability that is speaking a foreign language in an English-dominated world. But the message of Pentecost is that the Spirit grants all of creation and all of us the ability to seek our own flourishing and invites us into that work of joining. A few of us were talking, I don't know if it was last week or the week before here at Leo's, I don't remember, but we were talking about some of the diversity that is in Boness. So I tracked down some stats uh, on the population of Boness, and there was a report that was put together after the 2016 census, so it's a little bit out to date, but I couldn't find a more recent one. So, but most of these are just on the rise. Um, so we're just going to read through some of these and get an understanding for what our community looks like. In Boness, 92% of the population is exclusively English speaking. 1% is French speaking. And the remaining 7%, which is about 825 people, speak Tagalog, Arabic, Mandarin, Polish, Turkish, or multiple languages. 12% of the population in Bones has a mother tongue other than English or French. That's over 1,000 people in our community. Bones is made up of 14% immigrants, and this is increasing, just as it is in Calgary. Bones is home to people from quite literally all over the world. 50% of the immigrants living in Bones are economic immigrants. 28% are sponsored by family. And another 14% are refugees. 11% of Bones is of a visible minority. 7% of Bones is of Aboriginal identity. That's 755 people. And of those 755, only 25 have knowledge of an Aboriginal language. It's kind of sobering when you read those statistics. Um, the spirit is inviting us into the risk of new relationships because we all deserve to belong. We all deserve to be heard and speak our mother tongue. Our community is intended to include languages from all over the world. We shouldn't all look, look alike. We shouldn't all talk the same and we shouldn't all have the same stories. But it is easy to get comfortable and forget that there are those who have not been welcomed in the same way that we have or do not have the same privilege that we do. Language is also more than words. Language is communication and we communicate in various ways throughout our lives. We use various forms of art from music to poetry to movies to express what we're experiencing. And this series has reminded us too that our bodies have a language. The anxiety and fear that closes in on us as we try to make our way in the world is communicating something. The trauma that our body carries communicates something. And you're, if, if you're told that your language is inferior, you're forced to assimilate and learn an entirely different language and a way of being. And you have to just to survive. But this is who you are as a person and as a people group. 
you come from a certain land, we come from a certain land that is crawling with non-human creatures. You've been nourished by the waters and the plants of that land. You have parents, siblings, and other family and friends who have shaped you and into who you are. And this shapes your language and your imagination for community. And Pentecost reveals the grace that replaces our desire for power over people with God's desire of power for people. The move of the spirit at Pentecost empowers all people to speak and be heard in their mother tongue. Bonus would look radically different if we lived that out. Awaken would look different. Here at Pentecost, you don't need to conform to one specific language or one way of being, but you can belong just as you are and you're celebrated for it. We've been talking about how the biblical vision is that we either all Sabbath or none of us do. That we either all rest or we're not really resting or that we all flourish or none of us are flourishing. Because my flourishing is connected to yours and it's connected with the land and it's connected with the non-human creatures of this world. And our modern understanding of Sabbath has become twisted and serves only to get you ahead in life. Take a day of rest so that you can work harder the next six days and climb that ladder. But in this ever competitive pursuit of the top spot, we rarely ask who's getting left behind and trampled on as we do. Who's getting left out? Who isn't being granted the same access? Who isn't getting paid the same? Who isn't treated equally and humanely? Pentecost is the release from competition, anxiety, and fear. It is the spirit drawing us closer together than we dared imagine. And in a competitive culture, we always have to stay ahead of the other. We will always have to keep part of ourselves locked up because we're afraid of being taken advantage of. We're afraid of being vulnerable. We're afraid of welcoming others in because we don't want to lose our place. And we'll have to face our fears and our insecurities and our wounds if we do. But Pentecost, ah, Pentecost grounds that in a loving God and community that gives abundant life for all people and all things. Wilda Gaffney has this, uh, she has a lot to say on Pentecost and I didn't include all of it, but she has this paragraph and rather than turning it into my own version of it, I just want to read it to you because I think it's profound what she says. The power of God that transformed women and men and boys and girls, rich and poor, slave and free, Jerusalem, Jew, and Arabian Arab into the church was the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That Holy Ghost fire was the same fire that burned a bush on Sinai and did not consume it. The wind that swept through the house was the same wind that blew open a pathway through the Red Sea. The God who set the church on fire on her birthday is the same God who set the sun blazing in the heavens. We need the fire of Pentecost now as they needed it then. You see, while the outpouring of Pentecost was a new thing, the world in which it happened was the same old world with the same old empire, the same old oppressions, the same old heartaches, the same old abuses and the same old hurts. The fire of Pentecost came to earth in the same old crucifying world, just as the power of the Holy Spirit is present in this broken world, where children are being denied an education, veterans are being denied health care, working folk are being denied a living wage, black and brown folk are denied justice in a system called justice, 
And too many women and girls are denied basic human dignity, safety, and security walking down the street or trying to get an education. But we have the same Jesus in this old world. Jesus who demonstrated beyond all doubt that he was God in the flesh. Even if anyone doubted the stories about his conception and birth, they had seen for themselves when he multiplied meager meals and walked on water. They were with him when he opened blind eyes, unstopped deaf ears, loosened stilled tongues, dried up bloody flows, unbent crooked spines, and restored diseased and paralyzed flesh. They were in the procession when he canceled funerals and raised the dead while they were lying in their coffins. In the pursuit of the common good, we reject the system of competition and we accept an alternative economy empowered and led by the Holy Spirit who leads us ever deeper into community with one another, where we're all valued and loved and respected. In this series, we have established our connection with all created things, that we're not so different from these other parts of creation and are beginning to think that we can choose to be welcoming and inclusive of one another is the beginning of our disconnection from each other. As if you can choose to be inclusive and welcoming of some, but not all. The only separation is in our language and Pentecost disrupts even that separation. Walter Brueggemann says that the Holy Spirit pushes us where we had not intended to go. At Pentecost, there's movement from the self to the other. Connection and community are inseparable from each other. The vision for Pentecost, a, a jubilee community, is not one rooted in defining who is in and who is out. After all, that is just, as we said, fear of losing place and value. But it is a community rooted in radically welcoming everyone so that no one ever has to worry about their place or value. Pentecost overturns the way that things are. In Acts 2, Peter addresses the crowd and he quotes the prophet Joel and says, uh, this, which I also think I do have a slide for. And I did highlight as well on this, who gets involved. In the last days, it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see dreams, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The spirit is not exclusive. All flesh, sons and daughters, all genders, all orientations, all nationalities, the rich and the poor, the slave and the master. Heck, even in Acts chapter one, it says that this group was made up of uh, 11 surviving apostles, Mary, the mother of Jesus, his siblings, some of whom were sisters, and certain women totaling 120 people. That's approximately 105 women and 15 men. The beginning of the church was mostly women. Young people, old people, all will see the vision, will see visions, will dream dreams, and will prophesy. How often do we diminish people based off of their age? 
our culture doesn't particularly value the elderly sometimes. And we don't always value young people sometimes either. I remember being treated as less than at the previous church that I worked at and being told that I was quote unquote bottom of the barrel, even though I had the same degree as half the pastoral staff. Jesus says that all receive the spirit and are drawn together by the pull of divine fire. The good news about Jesus Christ impacts the entire material realm. The land is impacted. Animals are impacted. Strangers, family, enemies, and friends. As long as we think Sabbath is about checking out for a day, putting up walls, pushing others out, trying to advance ourselves ahead of other people, we will continue to miss out on the gospel hope of new life, of rest and delight. Our future is shaped by a divine desire for people. And we as people all share a hope for a world without oppression and violence and suffering. Those of us, those of us who have been welcomed in, we now turn and do the same for others, becoming the host. We all need to scoot over and make room for more people at the table. And this is the way that Jesus taught us to live. Um, and I am actually going to quote Nikayla for this sermon because she is the Sabbath expert. Um, but Nikayla did say, she said, the mission of Jesus was to proclaim good news to the poor, release to the captives, and sight to the blind. Now that we've received this good news, we can see clearly what it means to walk the way of Christ in this place. We are the image of God. So when we walk into the woods, the trees rejoice, the animals rejoice, the rivers rejoice because our lives now are lives of proclaiming good news to the poor. Our lives are spent releasing captives and restoring sight to the spiritually blind. The goal isn't to escape the world and go to a disembodied heaven where none of this matters. It is to delight in what God delights in, to love what God loves. And God delights in people. God loves people being in harmony with creation and with one another. The spirit is leading us to be at ease in the land with God and with creation and each other. In Exodus, we find Pharaoh, who remains nameless because all Pharaohs are the same. Pharaoh represents a predatory economy. So the question is, how do we serve the common good in a society fueled by this predatory economy? Because Pharaoh had a, had a dream. Really, it was a nightmare one of scarcity, of running out, of not having enough. But in his attempt to resolve this, he takes from the poor and he gives to himself. When he's taken all the money that people have, he takes their property and he takes their animals. And when that's gone, he takes them into slavery. You can work to earn your food and water and security. And we all know it spirals deeper and deeper. Anxiety, scarcity, accumulation, monopoly, and finally, violence. That is the world in which the gospel then appears. And the first cries against injustice come from two named women in Exodus 1, Shifra and Pua. We don't know Pharaoh's name, but we know the names of the two midwives who opposed violence and oppression. The cry of the Israelites is heard, seen, and known by God. But divine purpose is lived out through human agency. Moses in chapter 3 is called to go and proclaim release for the enslaved Israelites. And the spirits drawing us together at Pentecost is lived out by us too. Go to the people to whom I call. It's the same thing here at Pentecost. This God is one who desires life for her people. 
I mean, that's the plagues ultimately, right? The power, who has the power for life. The plague of gnats ultimately could not be performed by Pharaoh's people. Their capacity to perform had run out. The empire had reached its limit. It cannot make us happy. It cannot keep us safe. It cannot even make gnats. The spirit reveals at Pentecost that there is an alternative way to happiness and safety that doesn't require performance and efficiency. And it is for all people. Pharaoh's commandments are make bricks, work harder, don't be lazy, make more bricks, save more, get more people involved, make more money, get more riches. It is a command of performance, of endless productivity and consumption because everything is reduced to a commodity. Everybody is for sale. Everything can be bought and sold and traded and hoarded. That's what Pharaoh commands but that's not really our lived experience of it. What we experience in this space is I don't have time to get my kids to all of their activities. I don't have time to rest. Even if I do, it's not really restful. I don't have time to get to church. I don't have time to see my friends. I am exhausted. I get 143 emails a day. I can't catch a break. I don't know where I'm going to live next month. I don't know how I'm going to pay for rent. Pharaoh's commands are very familiar to us. You have to make it. You have to be more. You have to make more. And you have to earn more. We lose sight of one another in the process as we anxiously navigate this world, trying to make sure that we have enough and more than some other people. The fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment, is vital and it is incredibly difficult because it means to stop being productive. There were no Sabbaths in Egypt for anybody, including Pharaoh. Keeping the act of Sabbath, or sorry, keeping the Sabbath is an act of defiance against the pressures that are imputed on us and pit us against one another. The second commandment says not to make idols. You should not value things and you should not worship them. You shall not covet. You shall not try to acquire more and more and more. And then interestingly, Walter Brueggemann points out that the 10th commandment has the word neighbor three times. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or their things. It is all about the neighbor. We create neighborliness. On an economic level, we don't have to serve Pharaoh's economy of development and growth. There is another way to organize our lives that looks a lot more neighborly. Because the market ideology cannot be the ideology of our life. It's about getting ahead of one another. The market wants to privatize and it wants to shrink what is available to the poor. It is greed. It is anxiety provoking and it leaves us exhausted. We wonder if change is even possible. Yet that is exactly what the spirit is doing at Pentecost. Changing things radically. The spirit dwells with us and says, join each other. This is my desire. Meet these people, be in community with them, hear their story, learn their language. I bet you all have a lot more in common than you think you do. Because we're all anxious. We're all in the same system, those inside the circle and those who have been placed on the margins. And the spirit is inviting us to transcend the boundaries that divide us and enter into a shared common good. 
As I mentioned earlier, Pentecost serves as the epicenter of the book of Acts, and it gives explanation for all that kind of comes after that and reveals the Spirit's invitation to us. And just a couple chapters after uh, the arrival of the Spirit, we find an explanation of what this new community looks like, of what Spirit-filled community looks like as the diverse group of people gathers from all over. Um, so Acts 4, I think there's a slide for this too. Acts 4, verse 32 to 37 reads, Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. There was a Levite from Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Some people arrive at this place excited for what is to come, but some of us also just arrive exhausted. We are burnt out, we're drained, and we have little hope. But the good news of Jesus says that we can come to rest here. There is more than enough for everyone, and everybody's needs are met. Throughout the gospel accounts, the disciples are constantly misunderstanding Jesus' message of abundance because their hearts were hard. But Jesus says that there is life for all, abundant life. One of the major themes in the gospel of John is the abundance that Jesus shares with the people. The disciples didn't understand the new economy of abundance because they thought just like Pharaoh. They felt anxiety. They thought monopoly, and so it often is with us. Fear and anxiety of what we'll lose in the welcoming of others prevents us from being inclusive. But the spirit is interrupting our system. We're invited to imagine what our community of Bowness, what Calgary, or Alberta, or Canada, or the whole world could look like if we participated in this joining of diverse peoples, if we bridged the gap between uneven wealth and resources. There's no stopping the move of the spirit and her desire is for people. The only way to quench that pull of the spirit is by following the spirit's command to enter into radically diverse and inclusive community. In a moment, we're actually going to welcome six new members into our community. It seems appropriate that we are doing this on Pentecost Sunday. The spirit is in the business of joining people together from various paths of life and uniting us together for the common good. Um, but before we do that, I just wanna read a poem for us to close the sermon and then we'll move into membership and we'll, um, and then Ari will lead us in communion. Um, but yeah, so I have this poem, it's on the screen. It's called The Poem for Pentecost. It's been revised for Calgary by someone I don't know who. This was sent to me. Um, but it's great. I loved it. So uh, just follow along with me. When the spirit comes, she comes swift and surprising. She comes jubilant brass band at a potluck, joyful. She comes laughing loudly in public and unashamed. She walks Bones Road like a busker queen like an overflowing garden, a folk fest dream. For winter will not have the last word in May on the day when the spirit comes.
When the spirit comes, she comes in power. At her heels, holy Chinook breath, forest lawn flourishes. The homeless made homeful, made neighbors. At her heels, sidewalks flower and parking lots blossom. Deerfoot trail empty. Block parties bustle. As she dances, an arc of rainbows, a party of pride, wounding turned welcome. As she sings, women no longer missing found. Residential school survivor, survivors wrapped in song and sound. The highway of tears turned feasting ground for all that will eat together, reconciled in the days when the spirit comes. When the spirit comes, she tumbles from each tongue like water, Cantonese, Punjabi, and Tagalog too. She travels on the wings of kitchen smells. Her hands bless with spices, her ankles ring with bells. At her heels, moss goers made safe. At her heels, women walk home unafraid. For the Lord says, I will show my wonders of a city for all people, for the poor and the elders unerased, for the drumbeat strong and thick smudge of grace, for all will have their right to place in the days when the spirit comes. When the spirit comes, she comes unstoppable. She comes dirt under her fingernails and unbrushed hair. She comes with the scent of earth on her skin. At her heels, backyard gardens leap into life. At her hands, honeybees once dead take flight. For the earth and all that is in it singing the blues, the spirit brings gospel choir good news, the hope of a groaning world renewed. For the mountains will have peace and the Saskatoon bushes abound. The Bow River bursts green life along banks long brown. The forests dance for their creator crowned in the days when the spirit comes. Thank you.